Digimon, originally part of the Tamagotchi toy line, now its own independent franchise, having a collection of video games, trading cards, and of course, an anime. Sadly though, it's always been overshadowed by a more popular franchise that involves befriending creatures with special powers. <coughs> Pokemon. <coughs> Growing up, I was definitely more of a Pokemon fan, but I've always enjoyed the differences Digimon had to offer, whether it be the show or video games. Much like every other anime you've seen, Digimon has a selection of movies that came out during the show's run. Some are well received, while others people think didn't exist. If you were a kid growing up in the late 1990s, early 2000s, you might be familiar with the Digimon movie, which, fun fact, is not an actual movie, but rather the first three Digimon movies merged together into one film. Needless to say, it sucked. Though I have to give the writers some credit for trying. Anyway, watching the quote-unquote movie got me thinking, how do each of these movies hold up individually? Because I know some fans have watched these movies subbed and claimed them to be good, which is where the episode comes in. I'll be judging these movies based on story and action and how they reflect the series. Keep in mind, this isn't a top 10 list, nor is it a tier list like I did with the Dragon Ball Z films. This is just me going over each movie and giving my honest opinion. So please be respectful for what I have to say. Then again, how often do you hear people talk about Digimon over Pokemon? Not a lot. So I have all the Digimon movies, which ones are worth mentioning, and which ones are best left to obscurity? Let's find out. Also, before I forget, spoilers will be mentioned, but I think you guys know my style by now. I'm Eric from Geeks Crossing, and this is the Digimon Film Series Retrospective. Starting with... Digimon Adventure. Not to be confused with the name of the first season. Alright, technically this isn't a movie, but a short film released during a film festival in the late 1990s. So I guess it kinda counts as a movie? Taking place about 7 years before Season 1, the movie is about a young Tai and his sister Kari befriending a Digimon named Koromon, but danger strikes when another Digimon named Paramon appears, prompting Koromon to take action. If you guys are diehard fans of the first season, then this plot should sound familiar. I'm referring to the episode where Homeostasis informs Tai and the others about the past, and why they were chosen to be the Digi-Destined. Since Tai, Kari, and the others all coincidentally saw the battle between Greymon and Paramon, they inadvertently became the next group of Digi-Destined, this is pretty much like the Bardock and Future Trunks movies from DBZ, where they give a visual interpretation of events that were alluded in the show. With that said, does it work as its own movie? For the most part, yes. The only problems I can really think of are the pacing of some scenes, especially the beginning and the scenes where Kari and Agumon roam the streets at night. But the battle between Greymon and Paramon was worth the wait. Unlike most fights you see in the show, this one felt more fleshed out and more animated. I know that's weird to say, but if you grew up with watching Digimon Adventure 1 and 2, you know what I mean. Overall, Digimon Adventure isn't that bad to watch. A little slow paced, but the ending makes up for it, as it provides great foreshadowing for the future. Our War Game. Now we get to talk about my favorite Digimon movie. I'll explain why in a little bit. The premise of this movie is simple, yet iconic. Sometime after Season 1, a Digimon that acts like a computer virus starts taking over the entire internet, prompting Tai and Izzy, then later Matt and TK, to take action. This movie is my favorite for numerous reasons, starting with the premise. Since Digimon are supposed to be composed of data, it makes perfect sense for one of them to try and take over the internet. Speaking of which, I love the different art style that they give the Digimon whenever they travel through the internet. And of course, the antagonist, Dio Boromon, along with the fight scenes. They actually go hand in hand the more I think about it. Throughout the movie, we see Dio Boromon go through his evolution line, which is something we've never seen before with any antagonist. Except, he skipped his champion form while fighting Greymon and Kaputerimon. He even attacked them while they were trying to digivolve to their ultimate forms, then he does it again while Patamon was digivolving. Kinda of bullshit, but that shows how ruthless he is. And it only got worse once he reached his mega form. Not only did he demolish our heroes, but hacked into the military's control system and launched a missile to eradicate Japan. 
War Greymon and Mel Gururumon tried stopping him, only to get ambushed by millions of Dio Boromon clones. And the feels, man, when Ty and Matt entered the internet themselves to give their partners extra pep talk as they were on the verge of death, I almost teared up while watching it. However, that pep talk plus the emails from all the kids watching this fight gave them the extra power to DNA Digivolve into Omnimon. This was one of the coolest fucking things I've seen while watching Digimon. And even today, it still gives me chills. It was awesome to see Omnimon single-handedly destroy all of the clones, and then the actual Diobormon literally a second before the missile could detonate. It's because of Omnimon that DNA Digivolution became more prominent in Season 2, as he, along with the fight with Diobormon, was referenced. Again, great foreshadowing and connection towards continuity. The only real complaints I have towards this movie is Sora. As you probably tell, only half the Digidestin was shown finding Diobormon in this movie. Granted, Matt and TK were busy visiting their grandma, but they did help out once they found a computer. The others had understandable reasons for not joining. Joe was finishing up a test in summer school. Mimi and her family were on vacation. Kari was attending a birthday party. But what about Sora? Apparently, she's mad at Ty because he gave her a hair clip for her birthday. I'm not kidding. That's the whole reason why Sora couldn't help out. Not only is that a poor reason, but completely out of character for Sora. That's something I expect from freaking Mimi, not the tomboy of the group. Other than that, our war game is an amazing movie. And it's the one Digimon film I could watch all the time and still be impressed. Hurricane Landing. Now we move on to the first movie of season 2. I used to hate this movie because of how much editing they did for the dub. But after watching the original version, it's not that bad. Presumably taking place after the Digimon Emperor's defeat, the new Digidestin help a kid named Lois, who discovers that one of his Digimon partners, Kokomon, is infected with a virus. If you guys watched the Digimon movie, then this virus is supposed to be the same one that was created from Dio Boromon. But in the original version, it's a different virus, which makes more sense. I could go on about how impossible that plot point is, but the last thing I want to talk about is the Digimon movie's shitty attempt at developing any lore. So let's focus on the original version. One thing that I find interesting is how Willis has two Digimon partners, which is something rare to see. One of them is Terriermon, who is better known for appearing in Season 3. Along with Kokomon, though he's called by his actual name Lopmon, and instead is female. But that's enough about Tamers, I'm getting off topic. Then again, what else is new with me? Other good things that are worth mentioning are the fight scenes, such as Terriermon digivolving into Gargomon and beating the shit out of Windingomon, or the armor Digimon taking on Entilomon alongside Gargomon. But the best fight scene was Magnamon and Golden Rapimon versus Shurubimon. Speaking of which, it was unique how Shurubimon DH Willis and the Digidestin back as little kids, as a way of going back in time to when the virus first occurred. Also, something that was completely absent in the dub was the role of the original Digidestin. In the movie, Kokomon trapped them in a mysterious lair so they wouldn't interfere with his plan of confronting Willis. Yeah, it kinda sucks how Ty and the others got shafted, but it wasn't that bad. Besides, this is a Season 2 movie, so the focus should be mostly about the new team. Although it felt more like the Davis show if anything because Yoli and Cody barely did anything. Even TK and Kari, who didn't appear that much, did more than those two. Which leads to my biggest problem. In order to get the Golden Digi-Eggs, Patamon and Gatamon had a Digivolunteer Megaforms to release them. What?! Not only does that make zero sense, but they never explain how they achieved Megaforms to begin with. As if that wasn't enough, Seraphimon and Magnatramon just float in midair and get one shot by Sherubimon. Wow, what a shitty way to introduce Patamon and Gatamon's Megaforms. And when those two become their Megaforms again and try, they don't acknowledge any events from this film, which makes me question its candidacy. Overall, Hurricane Landy may be frustrating at times, but still a decent movie. Revenge of Dioboromon. As the title suggests, Dio Bormon is back and wants revenge on the Digidestin, taking place sometime after Season 2. The old and new Digidestin must stop Dio Bormon. This time, he plans to evade the real world by dividing himself into millions of his baby forms, aka Kuromon. 
compared to the other season 2 movie, this one was definitely better for a few reasons. First off, I like how this movie focuses on both the new and old team. We have Ty and Matt going back to the internet, while Davis and the others try to capture all the Kuromon. Sure, Yuli and Cody don't engage in any fights, but at least they're doing something. Considering that this is a sequel to Our War Game, there were a lot of references and callbacks from that film. Like kids all over the world witnessing Digimon fight online, everyone answering their cell phones in unison, and keeping the same art style when the Digimon traveled through the internet. Witnessing another fight between Omnimon and Dio Bormon was great. Even TK and Kari help out briefly. Needless to say that TK and Potamon got their revenge from the second movie. However, Dio Bormon was nothing compared to what they had to face next. In the real world, all the Kuromon fused together to form Armageddonmon, a gigantic and more monstrous version of Dio Bormon. I remember seeing this thing for the first time in the intro to Digimon World 3, and seeing this thing appear in the anime was amazing. Armageddonmon was so powerful that neither Omnimon nor Imperial Dramon could do any substantial damage. When all seemed lost though, Omnimon transferred all his power to Imperial Dramon so he can reach a new form. Imperial Dramon, Platinum Mode, who completely destroyed Armageddonmon just by stabbing him in the frickin' face with his sword. To this day, we have not seen this form be used again, which I think is unfair because this Digimon clearly has a lot of untapped power. The climax made up for it though, as the Digidestin and many civilians who watched this fight send the Kuromon data back to Oblivion by shooting beams of light from the Digivices and cell phones. I don't know about you guys, but that definitely gave me some serious Kingdom Hearts vibes. Overall, I'd say Revenge of Dio Boromon is a great movie. It's not as emotionally driven as our war game, but it has its moments to make it stand out. Honestly, this might be my second favorite Digimon movie. For a while, this movie felt like it would be the last time we see the Adventure cast, until they revealed Adventure Try and Last Evolution. But before I discuss those, I think it's time we switch gears and talk about Tamers, starting with Battle of Adventures. The premise of this movie is simple. Takato and Gilmon go on vacation to visit Kai, Takato's cousin. Suddenly, computers all over are getting corrupted by strange icons called the V-Pets, which are indeed involved with the Digimon, along with a mysterious girl named Miyami, who Takato and Kai rescued earlier in the film. In hindsight, it does sound like it copies too much from our war game, but it's not a complete carbon copy, as they care more towards the involvement of humans, which is what Tamers is mostly about. I appreciate the efforts, but to be honest, I didn't think Miyami was that interesting of a character. Yeah, the backstory of her having a dead dog, which sparked the idea of creating the V-Pet was fine and all, but all she did throughout the movie was feel sorry for herself, and she did kind of act like a bitch towards Caesarmon, the guardian of the island where Kai lives, and the first ever V-Pet that was made. I know it's confusing, but just go with it. The movie does have its moments, sure, like Takato and Gilmon trying to protect Miyami from the Digimon, and the final battle against Mephistamon slash Gulpmon was good for the most part, especially seeing all the Digimon in their ultimate forms defeat Gulpmon despite him being a mega level. Though I feel like Henry and Rika didn't get enough screen time. Yeah, Rika was the first one to discover something was up with the V-Pets, and Henry took a little vacation on his own. How his parents thought it would be okay for a 12-year-old to go on vacation by himself is beyond me. Speaking of which, the movie's biggest flaw is continuity. Every Digimon movie I mentioned so far connects to the overall plot one way or another, but this movie is the most questionable when it comes to candidacy. Some fans like to believe that this movie takes place during the Davis arc. During that time, Takato, Henry, and Rika were the only ones to have Digimon partners, and Takato's D-Power is still red before changing gold later on in the show. However, Takato was still attending school during that arc, and this movie has him going on summer vacation. You expect me to believe that it took Takato and the others months to defeat all the Devas in the real world before going to the digital world to rescue Kalamon? What's worse is that Kai shows up in the last 5 episodes and he knows about the Digimon. Then again, Digimon is a cultural phenomenon in Tainers, so everyone knows about it, but still. One more thing to point out is Omnimon. Yes, Omnimon appears in this movie but he's not the same one from Adventure 1 and 2. 
This Omnimon apparently has an ongoing feud with Mephistomon, and they only show that for literally two minutes. Omnimon is stuck in hyperspace or whatever for the entire film. Granted, he did help lead Henry and Rika to where Takato and Mephistomon were, yet I would have loved to see him join the final battle. Still, it's not the worst movie. I just don't see myself watching it anytime soon. Runaway Locomon Unlike the first movie from Tamers where everything felt boring and has noticeable flaws, this movie is actually pretty good despite being shorter and more generic. A train-like Digimon named Locomon is running loose in the real world prompting the Tamers to take action. One of the few things that makes this movie better is how it connects to the plot. At the end of the D Reaper saga, aka the finale to Tamers, Takato discovers a way to reunite with their Digimon partners, so this movie can easily occur after Tamers ended. What solidifies this fact is that characters like Kazu, Kenta, and Suzy having their partners, and the main trio having the power to bio-merge with their Digimon. No question that this movie is canon in some way. However, the main highlight for me was not any of the fights, believe it or not. Instead, it's the relationship between Rika and her father. Rika's father was hardly mentioned in the show, so it's nice to know that he exists. From the small glimpses we see of him, Rika had a close bond with her father. In fact, she used to sing every time she was around him. It's possible that he left Rika, which is why she acts a little stern, especially on her birthday, which is the day this movie takes place. Definitely appreciate the extra detail in Rika's character. This movie does have some issues, such as the gag where Henry and Susie accidentally switch Digimon partners, which I thought was kind of pointless, and also Parasimon, a parasite Digimon that took control of Lokomon because... reasons? I don't think they ever explained his motive other than being evil just for sake of being evil. You could argue that would deal Bormon, but this one was too on the nose if you know what I mean. Still, it was entertaining to see the Digimon fight off the many clones of Parasimon. Even allies like Ryo and Cyberdramon, as well as Beelzemon helped out. And I liked how we got to see Galamon Crimson Mode once again, even though his appearance here is a lot shorter than the show. In retrospect, Runaway Lokomon does sound and feel like fan service in a way, because I know a lot of Digimon fans desperately want to see a Tamers reunion or something. Either way, it's still a good movie for its simplicity and how they added more layers to one of the coldest characters from the show. And that wraps up the two movies from Tamers. Let's move on to Digimon Frontier with their first and only movie, Island of Lost Digimon. Yeah, I don't like this movie. Which is a damn shame because I really do love Frontier a lot, but this movie has so many problems. The Digi-Destined come across the Lost Island where there's an ongoing feud between the human and beast-type Digimon. So it's up to them plus two of the town's locals to stop this war. I have to be honest, this movie was so fucking boring. If you guys watch Frontier, then you will know that prior to the show, there was already a war between the human and beast Digimon, and they come together to live in peace after Lusamon tried to enslave them. This movie pretty much gives us a modern interpretation of what happened before, except instead of Lusamon, the Digimon responsible is Mermixmon, who poses as the leader for both sides, Darkmon for the human side, and Hippogriffomon for the beast side. But it was so obvious who the villain was that it made the movie drag on especially the war, because you know these Digimon are going to keep fighting throughout the movie, and you know that they're going to put aside all this petty shit once they realize they've been tricked. Even the two locals who helped our heroes, Bearmon and Kotimon, didn't add much, except for the latter sacrificing himself to awaken Ancient Greymon and Ancient Garurumon. At least the final battle between our heroes and Mermixmon was somewhat entertaining. Aside from having a very dull and generic story, Ancient Greymon and Ancient Garurumon are flaws, believe it or not. Canonically, these two are supposed to be the ancient spirits of fire and light respectively, in which Takuya and Koji inherit, and those two were one of the ten ancient warriors to defeat Lucimon. However, this movie doesn't make any effort to connect that whatsoever. Instead, these two were ancient Digimon that saved the island from a Digimon called Ornismon, easily one of the most forgettable villains in any Digimon film. Speaking of Canacy, where the fuck does this movie take place? You can argue that it takes place sometime after Takuya and Koji obtained their beast spirits, 
since these two were the only ones to use them in this movie. However, during that time, Zoe got her spirit stolen by Grumblemon, and she doesn't get it back until after he's defeated. Maybe the movie could have taken place after that too. Except for one huge problem. By the time Zoe got her spirit back, Seraphimon was reverted back to a Digi-Egg who was then under the care of Bokemon for 25% of the show. If it really did take place during that time, then where's the goddamn egg? I think it's safe to assume that this movie is not canon and not worth fussing over. Like I said before, I loved watching Frontier, but this season was treated poorly when it comes to releasing a movie. Maybe there's a reason why Frontier only had one movie. Funny enough, the next season, Digimon Savers, or Data Squad if you watch the dub, had only one movie as well. Ultimate Power, Activate Burst Mode. I'm not fucking kidding. That's the name of the movie. Ridiculous title aside, this is still an interesting one to talk about. Not only is this the first and only movie from Savers, but it's one of the first Digimon movies to not be dubbed. So this movie must have been so bad that it doesn't deserve an English dub, right? Actually, no. This is surprisingly good. Very weird and pointless, but still good in a way. In a dystopian future, the humans, including the members of Dats, Marcus, Thomas, and Yoshino, are placed in a mysterious coma, leaving their Digimon partners alone. However, Agumon and the others must protect this girl named Rhythm, who's actually a Digimon despite looking like a human, which is one of the things that makes this movie so unique. A girl that looks human but is really a Digimon? That goes to show how creative Digimon can be at times. And seeing all the Digimon stay in their rookie forms for the majority of the movie was also unique, as they can't digivolve without the help from their partners. I also like the villain Argomon, who is responsible for putting the humans in a coma, simply because he feels humans bring a lot of destruction towards the digital world. I mean, he's not wrong, but still. At least Marcus was able to wake up from his coma and help Agumon defeat him, though I wish the fight between Shine Greymon and Argomon lasted longer instead of waiting the last 5 minutes. Once again, candidacy is a problem for this movie. It's hard to tell when this movie takes place. It could take place after defeating Karada and King Drazel, yet Marcus decides to leave the real world and live in the digital world. Then again, he could visit home from time to time, if he really wanted to. Still, I feel like this movie isn't canon, as it does feel kind of out of place and hardly connects to anything from the plot of Savers. Nonetheless, it doesn't hurt to give it a watch, given its uniqueness. Digimon X Evolution Okay, so I was having some debates on whether or not to include this movie, for a few reasons. 1. I've never seen this movie completely, only parts of it. 2. It's nearly impossible to find this movie. And 3. This movie has no connection to any one of the seasons I mentioned so far, which makes it not canon. Still, it's a Digimon movie, so I have to include it one way or another. Basically, the movie is about the Royal Knights trying to eradicate any Digimon with the X-Virus gene, as ordered by King Drazel. The known Digimon with this gene is a Doromon, who actually has a secret connection to the Royal Knights. One thing to point out is that this movie is completely CGI, which sounds nice, except the CGI is very cringy. It looks like something out of a shitty PS2 title, though it does have some interesting factors. I like the inclusion of certain Digimon having X-Forms, which gives them a more edgy look. And I like how we got to see Doromon gradually digivolve into his next forms as the film progresses. Eventually, he digivolves into his megaform, Alphamon, the true leader of the Royal Knights. Seeing Alphamon and Omnimon team up to fight King Drazel in the end was kinda cool to see. It's funny that I mentioned the PS2 because this game is supposed to be a tie-in to Digimon World 4. However, that game is abysmal and how it connects to the movie is unbearable to figure out. Given how shitty the gameplay is, it was so bad that I gave up playing within the first area of the game. Regardless, this is definitely the most bizarre out of the Digimon movies. It really doesn't matter if you watch it or not. Again, it doesn't connect with any of the seasons, and it was a tie-in to one of the worst video games I've ever played in my life. For some reason though, the next Digimon season, Digimon Cross Wars, or Fusion if you watch the dub, doesn't have any movie based off it. Then again, that season lasted for about 79 episodes, 
So a movie doesn't sound all that necessary. Still, they could have given us a movie that takes place between Lord Barker's defeat and the introduction of Digimon Hunters. However, after years of not releasing any movies, Toei surprised us for Digimon's 15th anniversary by giving us the Digimon Adventure Try series. I know, it's weird that I'm talking about Try altogether because this was actually a six-part movie series, and each movie should be talked about individually. However, because this series has a very generic plot, it's not that hard to explain it entirely. Like I said, this film series is supposed to mark Digimon's 15th anniversary, and what better way to celebrate than providing a new story in the Adventure universe? That's right, Ty and the others are back and are now in high school. Basically, the Digidestin discovered that a strange virus has started to affect other Digimon, causing him to go feral, and must reunite with their partners to uncover this conundrum. At the same time, how about this girl named Mako, whose Digimon partner has apparent connection to all this? Let's start with the first movie, Reunion. This is probably the most simplest out of all the Tri movies, as it centers on Ty and the others reuniting with their partners, learning about the virus, and meeting Mako and Meikumon. I shit you not, that's where Digimon is called. It was a solid introduction to be honest. We got to see all the characters back, I love the scenes where the Digimon in their champion forms fight off the infected Quagamon, and I enjoyed the final battle between Omnimon and Alphamon. We also get introduced to new characters like Daigo and Maki, who not only helped them solve this case, but we learn later down the line that they were part of the original Digidestin, something that was alluded back in Season 1, so that's neat. The only problems I could think of is Joe not getting involved with any of the fights, and the Omnimon fight should have lasted longer. Still, it started off well, until we get to the second movie, Determination. This movie was boring if I'm being honest with you. This whole movie is basically about Joe neglecting his duties as a Digidestin and Mako trying to fit in. But you know Mako's just being shy and you know Joe will eventually see the error of his ways. Honestly, the biggest takeaway I got from this movie was seeing Gomomon and Palmon reach their megaforms, which became a trend for the other Digimon in this series. Still, everything felt slow, the clone of Imperial Dramon wasn't explained enough, Leomon returning then dying at the end seemed very pointless, and Makomon going feral happens right the fuck out of nowhere, which does lead up to the next movie, Confession. Oddly enough, it's the best out of the movies and I'll explain why in a little bit. With Makumon running amok and being the source of the virus, Mako feels a heavy burden, and to make matters worse, Patamon is infected causing TK to feel depressed. The Digimon soon learn that the only possible way to fix everything is to undergo a reboot, which means erasing the memories they have with their partners. It was intense to see the Digimon fight off Meikumon and slowly get infected by the virus, but this leads to one of the movie's biggest strengths. Sometimes, you have to make sacrifices in life, and I couldn't help but feel for these guys when they had to say goodbye to their partners. Granted, the movie did start off slow and Tentomon reaching his megaform felt out of place. Still, this movie is nothing but an emotional roller coaster, and it easily became my favorite. The fourth movie, Lost, was a decent follow-up. Desperate to see their partners again, the Digidestin return to the digital world and must rekindle the bonds with their Digimon, especially Sora and Beomon. I felt a wave of nostalgia seeing these guys back in the digital world, and seeing past villains return like Machine Dramon and Metal Seedramon made it even better. We also learned about the partners of Maki and Daigo, as Maki's whole plan for the reboot was to see her partner again, which failed in a very gruesome way sadly. Not gonna lie, it was annoying to see Beomon act like a bitch towards Sora, and the fights weren't as long as they should have been. Granted, it was nice to see Beomon reach her mega form, but Patamon doing it felt extremely out of place. But those problems are nothing compared to the fifth film, Coexistence. Oh god, this movie was trash. Literally, the whole movie is about Mako once again feeling sorry for herself and trying to stop Meikumon, but everything felt slow and the action felt very rushed. Especially the ending where Meikumon and Gatomon fuse into an abomination called Ordinemon and supposedly kills Tai and Daigo in the end. Lastly, we have our future. This movie is basically like the Justice League movie, 
where everyone was like, we need Superman. No, we don't. We need Superman. No, we don't. We need Superman. All right. We need Superman. Except it's, we need Ty. No, we don't. We need Ty. No, we don't. We need Ty. All right. We need Ty. And just like the Justice League movie, everything felt slow. And once we get to the climax, it's not as epic. Yes, Ty eventually comes back. And seeing Omnimon reach a new form called Merciful Mode was pretty cool. Especially since he demolished Ordeen Mom without any effort. Except, they had to add all the drama and got him on Reacher Mega Form, even though once again it happens right the fuck out of nowhere. You can definitely tell what the problems are. And Mako leaving the group in the end makes sense, seeing as how she has no connection to the epilogue of Season 2. Speaking of which, one major problem is that Davis and the others were barely mentioned in any of the movies. They had a cameo in the first movie, and they literally didn't appear until the last movie, where apparently they were in a coma this whole time. Wow, how fucking lazy can these writers be? Some of the new characters came and go, with no explanation of what happened, except for Daigo dying on screen. And to top it all off, I hated how this whole series was broken up into six movies, when they could have easily released it as a season. At least Crunchyroll had the right idea. The Tri-Movies were a nice way to bring back the cast, but they definitely could have been better. At least the 20th Anniversary Project was slightly better. And that is... Digimon Adventure Last Evolution. Unlike Tri, this is just one movie, so they can handle everything in one setting. Tai and the others are young adults graduating college, Suddenly, a strange Digimon named Eosmon is robbing the memories of other Digidestin, prompting Tai and the others to take action, with help from a girl named Minoa, who apparently has been tracking this Digimon for years. Then on top of that, the connections Tai and Mad have with their Digimon is getting weaker, and must act quickly before they disappear forever. Right away, I give this movie so much praise for its many callbacks, like Paramon appearing in the beginning, Tai, Mad, Izzy, and TK traveling through the internet just like in our war game, and the many cameos of the worldwide Digidestin from Season 2. Even Willis makes a cameo, which means he's canon. Sort of. Davis and the others actually contribute to the plot, instead of being shafted like in Tri. Granted, they were only supporting characters, but they definitely did a lot more in this movie. However, I have to praise this movie for its message on growing up. Yeah, growing up sucks, but it's part of life. Ty and Matt do whatever they can to make sure they don't lose their partners, until they realize they have to let them go and move on. I think this is the real thing we've seen at Digimon, if I'm being honest. However, this movie isn't perfect. For starters, it was pretty obvious that Minoa had something to do with Eosmon. We never see the Adventure 2 cast interact with Ty physically. Instead, all four of them are just together for the entire movie, coincidentally. The other Digidestin felt shafted for the most part, especially Sora, who did nothing except watch everything until Biomon disappeared. God, that was disappointing. The new forms that Agumon and Gabumon obtain look fucking cool, but their names are so dull. Agumon, the Bond of Courage, and Gabumon, the Bond of Friendship? Really? That was the best they could come up with? Why not Soul Greymon or Mystic Garurumon? If you guys have better names for them, feel free to share them in our Discord server. Lastly, even though Agumon and Gabumon do end up disappearing, the epilogue of Season 2, where the Digidestin are reunited with their partners as adults, and their kids even having Digimon, is still canon. The only glimpse we got that supports this is Ty and Matt saying one day we'll meet again. Come on, they could have given us a visual sign that they'll meet again? At least Hamers did that for its epilogue. Overall, Last Evolution was better than Try, but I wish there was more to it. And that pretty much wraps up all the Digimon movies. So after watching all of them again, what do I think? It's obvious that most of them are hit or miss, yet they all have a certain charm to it. It's just that some of them have issues when it comes to plot and relevance to the show. Still, if you're curious to watch these movies, then by all means go for it, especially if you're a fan of Digimon. And who knows, you might see something that I couldn't see. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Geeks Crossing. If you have any memories regarding these movies, or Digimon in general, you can share them on our Discord server and follow our Instagram page for updates. Thank you for listening, and have a great day.